listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Kill Guard Studios. Welcome Bass Edge Nation to Aaron, it's winter. This is a December 1 episode of Bass Edge Radio. Man, I have been freezing down here at Del Rio, Texas. We had a little warm here and there, but dude, we had some cold a little earlier than expected. Yes, uh, that thing stretched all the way from the north, and, and that, that giant dip I saw where it got all the way down uh, there by you, Kurt, so there was no escaping. Um, fortunately, this, this past week, it, it warmed up a little bit, but we'll take every day above freezing that we can get at this point, because it, <laughs> it's about to sit in uh, sit in pretty hard. But, you know, as always, Kurt, MegaWare, they're the deal. They've been with us from day one. You know, for I, I can't believe that anybody has not heard of MegaWare at this point if you listen to Bass Edge. But just in case, be sure to check out all things MegaWare at KillGuard.com. That is the first do-it-yourself kill protector, the Flex Step, the Skeg Guard, uh, all things MegaWare, the Battery Guard. Be sure to check them out at KillGuard.com. Kurt, we mentioned that it is December, but also with that, you know, we're quickly approaching at the end of the year here. There's been some change-ups on the different tournaments, scheduling, all that stuff comes into play. So I've got to ask are you going to chase five fish or are you going to chase numbers and go uh, what, what, what circuit, what style are you going I, after? I am, I am chasing five. I'm okay. going to chase five. I think most bass anglers next year, now with format changes, will be chasing. So uh, I, I will be. Man, I saw that Toyota Northern schedule. Yeah. Just yeah. looks like a ton of fun. So I'm going to hit that and I'm going back to my roots a little bit, Aaron. I'm going to do some Texas bass nation events here around the house so i'm excited about that of course uh getting my camp set up we've got dates ready to roll out here in the beginning of december so excited about launching all those uh youth fishing camps and and uh let me let me mention real quick if you haven't seen the uh, latest episodes of americana outdoors you get the little sneak peek of some bass fishing camps with the pro bass camp on on americana outdoors so do we we made television we made television so that was uh that was super cool but let me tell you what we've made we have made a marathon show today so no hesitation we're gonna jump right into this thing man this is gonna be a great episode 389 of bass edge radio here we go segment b right after this message stay tuned Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, we got another awesome seg B going here and Man, you know, the MLF Toyota Championship on Lake Gunnersville, um, not too long ago, there was, you know, typical fall fishing, right? But there was less than 10 
20 pound bags in the three days of competition. And, and our friend, Mark Lassane, one of those monster fall bags out there at the Toyota Championship, man, figured we'd pick his brain on the success and lessons that he learned in that event. We'll also dive into the winter edition of Bass Angler Magazine. Excellent to have you back on Bass Edge, Mark. Cool, guys. I'm happy to be on the show. Well, Mark, always great to have you on the show. Today, we're going to kind of like Kurt said, just really break down some fall fishing lessons for us. But uh, yeah, I, I, it goes without mentioning, man, you traveled from your home state of California, busted a 20-pound day one on the MLF Toyota Championship over at Lake Gunnersville in Alabama. Dude, how far is that, by the way? I mean, that's that's a long freaking ways. It is. It's uh, you know, it is a long two-day drive because I made it two days on the way back. So I think it's 29 hours, 30 hours, something like that. Um, without stopping, you know, we did stop, but you know, it's a 30-hour drive without stopping. How did you put all that together once you arrived at, at Gunnersville? You know, the, obviously you had some great success, but uh, you know, little little road road worn, I'm sure, but uh, you ended up getting it done. Yeah, uh, you know, great great question, and uh, you know, I with the magazine, I interview a lot of pros, and that's like one question that that I always like to ask, you know, how'd you figure it out? You went to this lake. How did you figure it out? You haven't been there in a while. And so what happened? So honestly, I didn't have much time to research it. You know, I'm kind of a, a busy guy, you might say. So on the way there, you know, we watched some, uh, some, uh, Bass U videos and I did call and talk to Fletcher Shyrock who hadn't been on the lake much, but you know, he kind of gave me a little insight on what, you know, maybe what I should try to do, you know, so that, that helped a little bit, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter, no matter what time of year, you know, you're going to the lake, you're headed to, you need to figure out, you know, what kind of cover does the place have? What are the fish doing? What are the normal seasonal patterns? Um, you know, and then how does, how are things changed now to the, you know, the norm, you know, cause you may look at, at fall, late October, well, I'm thinking it's usually pretty cold back there. But, you know, we went there at shorts and flip-flops, um, <laughs> was, you know, 80 right. degrees. It was nice. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, this is a blueback and a shad lake, and they have gizzard shad and threadfin shad and, you know, a lot of bait. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe the bait hasn't moved all the way back to the back of the coves yet because it, it's not cold. It was cold a couple weeks before, but, you know, and then it warmed back up. So I did go back and try some of the backs of the creeks and try it, but I really didn't find anything. So I found them kind of halfway out and then all the way out, you know, kind of in the main lake. I spent the first day running around. We caught just a couple of fish and, you know, kind of scrambling, figured, oh, man, this is tough. And, you know, because Gunnersville is generally a tough lake in the fall. You know, yeah. my experience is every time I've been back east in the fall, it's been tough fishing. So you, you really got to figure it out. So, I, you know, I'm figuring this stuff halfway back, and the first day was was a little tough. Um, I think we caught, like, one on a buzzbait and one on a worm, and, you know, nothing was clicking, you know, nothing kind of got together. So, you know, day two, we caught one on a frog and then caught another one on a worm and caught, I think, one on a crankbait, and I'm like, well, this is still not working. So I go out, and I went way offshore, I mean, you know, like 500 yards offshore, kind of uh looking at some stuff and i caught one on a chatterbait it's a pretty good one like a three pounder i was like well that's a good one and then uh start running around some more and i catch another one on a chatterbait out on the you know on the grass you throw on a green pumpkin jackhammer with a green pumpkin zayco trailer and it seems like it's it's working pretty good 
and I'm working and working and, uh, you know, finding a few fish here and there, but not, um, I don't think it's a, a pattern I can use to really, you know, you're fishing to win when you're fishing one of these. Yeah. So not a pattern I can use to win this tournament because I'm only catching a few fish. So after talking to Fletcher, he goes, you know, you need to get one of these Fritz side, little Fritz side crankbaits. I'm like, ah, okay, all right. You know, I'm thinking he's sponsored by Berkeley and he's <laughs> right. telling me, you know, you need to get some. Well, I mean, I, I did buy some. And so I put this little Fritz side on and then, and I start throwing it and I catch one, right? I'm like, oh, like another, like three pounder. And a three pounders, you know, m- my aspect of what's going on with the lake and the time of the year, the way the bite has been, a three pounder is a pretty good one. You know, if I can get some threes and then, sure. you know, get a four or five, I, I'm right there and be pretty close. So what I did is I, I started working on this little crankbait. And what I found is that I, I use my, my Garmin. I have an Echomap Ultra where I can adjust the color lines. So I adjusted the color lines. I use red for zero to five. And then I think it was uh, orange from five to 10 and then yellow from 10 to 15. Well, I would put the boat in the yellow and I'd be throwing up into the red and the orange. But I had to be way, way offshore. I had to find the grass, and then it had to be a cove. Now, it's a, you know, if you look at a cove on a regular lake, you look, and there's a cove, right? But now, if when you're way offshore, you have to look at your graph to find these coves. And with right. the color lines on the, on the Garmin, I could make it out to where I, I found a cove, and I would find these coves way offshore. So what I would do is I would throw this spritz side out, and you had to throw it horizontal to the bank. You had to basically you throw it straight out and straight back. You know, it's not one of those things where, you know, you can find a fish in four foot of water and then just put the boat in four foot of water and cover that area. It was not like that at all. I was out in like 10 foot of water, throwing it up into three to five foot of water and reeling it straight back to the boat. And what I do, I had to find, you had to find hydrilla. Um, there, you know, there's all that eelgrass there, which, you know, really, um, I don't think the fish get inside it, but they get inside the hydrilla. So you throw it out, you'd reel it down into the hydrilla, and then I would let the bait stop, right? It would be kind of stuck in the hydrilla. And then I'd, I would just kind of pop it out, just not rip it out like you do a, uh, you know, round trap or LB, but right. just, just pop it out and let it sit there for a second and then reel it real slow and then give it a couple jerks. And that was the way I was triggering these fish to bite, you know, and, and the bigger ones too. And to top it off, the fish were not all the way in the coves. They were in like the very front part and the end part. In the center, there really wasn't any fish. If they were, they were usually small ones. But the big ones were on these two end spots. So I had, um, I don't know, like 10 of these spots I would run around to. And, and I would just, I would throw that fritz side out, crank it down. And then I would stop and, and pop it up and, and let it, you know, let it come up. And then the fish would grab it and I'd catch them. And, you know, the first day I lost three, the second day I didn't lose any, but I mean, the second day I caught three fish total. So I have to say that. So the, the first day, kind of a cool story. The, the first day my non-boater has four fish. He has three little ones and a five pounder. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to feel bad for him because I'm catching them like I'm just, catching them you know, pretty good. I think I caught, you know, 15, 20 fish that day. So he doesn't have, he only has four. So I give him my rod and reel. And I, you know, I, <laughs> here's I give the him my rod side, and reel. Here's what you need. Right, right, right. Here it is. Here it is. Just here's, here's the whole deal. You've seen me catch them on it. 
here it is, you know, and I have another one all rigged up already. So he throws it out. I'm, I'm going to say it five minutes after I give it to him, throws it out, hooks one. It's a six pounder. I was like, oh, dang it. I'm yeah, like, yeah, dang yeah. it. I could have used that fish because <laughs> I could have called out a three pounder with it, you know? Sure, and, sure. And uh, so it comes but you already up, had a I big look, bag. You know who would have known at that time, right? Uh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had about 18 pounds at that point right. when, he, when he caught that one. So I net the fish, but I look underneath it, and there's another one about that size underneath it. I was like, oh, man, I can't throw on this fish while I'm trying to net this guy's fish. So he gets the fish, gets it in the boat. It's all tangled up. The hooks are in the net and everything else, you know. So I throw it out again, and I hook the other one. I get it, and it's like it's a five-pounder. And I get it up. I go, don't worry about it. I'll get it. So anyway, so he reached down and grabbed it. We couldn't get the net out. The fish, other fish were all tangled in the net. But then we got that one. That called me up to about 20 pounds. You know, it was kind of a a cool story. You know, I was was bummed that he got the six pounder. I didn't, right, but right, right. I wouldn't have seen that five pounder underneath it, you know, and I did that without him catching that, that one. So it sounds like, you know, kind of main lake drains, coves, you know, like you mentioned, but kind of little secondary points around these main lake coves and drains is kind of where some of these fish were, were sitting. And, and I guess that's like you mentioned, you know, they had an extended uh, warm weather summer, you know, they had a little coolness, but, but overall still kind of extended warm trends. So bait fish weren't flush, you know, kind of getting in the backs of the creeks and that kind of thing. So you figure out this pattern, you have a fantastic day one, you're sitting in the top 10 Of course, you know, it's fall fishing and, and there seem to be a lot of inconsistencies with fall fishing in general, but specifically at this event. You end up fishing it, finishing a respectable 34th place. But what lessons can you share with Bass Edge Nation that you saw on day two that you mentioned you had a, a lighter bag that day? Uh, I think you had three for seven and change. Hindsight 2020, how would you stay in the top 10 overall? And what do you think? change that didn't enable you to well, replicate they, they turn the water off they, okay. you know they turn the water off and then okay. you know with my inexperience on the lake i I, can't, I didn't really know what to do and you know i mean I, and i caught them so good the first day that i'm thinking residual fish i can scrape out you know 15 Absolutely. pounds or so Absolutely. on a bad day i'm thinking so, you know, I fish and fish and fish. I caught, you know, caught a couple in the morning. My non-butter catches a five-pounder, of course. <laughs> you know, that one would have put me in the cut, but, you know, yeah. it, is, it is what it is. And then I run around spot to spot, and I'm catching fish, um, but I'm not catching keepers. You know, they're like 14 inches. I'm like, man, where are these good ones? And, you know, I think I'm catching just enough to keep me thinking mm, one of them's going to be a good one, and, they're, and they weren't. So hindsight, I saw that they – Turn the water off. I, I didn't know this at the, you know, that day, but I hindsight, I'd, I heard that. And I think like, uh, you know, in the California Delta, when, when you have a, like a, a really slow tide, a lot of times you'll go to the biggest water out there and that's where there's more water moving. So hindsight, I would have gone out in, you know, out on those ledges where the grass is and probably, you know, thrown that bait out there, you know, in the grass on the edge of the grass, maybe punch some of the grass, you know, out in the main part of the lake. I think that there was a better bite out there when they shut the water off. 
Gotcha. gotcha. As soon as I saw you had a big bag day one, I, you know, obviously knowing you're from the Delta, I know you love the punch. I was like, oh, he's punching grass. He got 20 pounds punching grass. Oh, my God. Mark's crushing him. He's going to catch him again. <laughs> <laughs> Guys are texting me. Oh, the punch fight must be on. I go, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I mean, I punched miles and miles. The grass looks so good in Gunnersville. I was like. Oh, I saw it, and I was like, oh, my God, this looks so good. And I punched and punched and punched and punched. I never got a bite. I'm like, man, I, can, I can't do this. You know, that was one of those things that, you know, you go to a lake, and you try to fish your strengths, and you work and you work and you work. But, you know, sometimes you just you need to veer off and, and to figure something out. You know, if it's not working, then you got to keep, keep trying different things and, and see what works. Well, and that's why I think, you know, not only you're successful as an angler, Mark, but also as many Bass Edge listeners know, you produce one of the, in my opinion, the leading magazine in the bass fishing industry called Bass Angler Magazine. You have a, a just a, a fantastic winter issue that is shipping now to newsstands, tackle shops, and subscribers. What are you most excited about in this issue? You know, there's a lot. I, you know, every issue that comes out, I think there's a ton of stuff that really will help guys be a better angler, become more educated, you know, help them in, in various ways. So I have a, I have this new kid, uh, Andrea from Italy. So, and he wrote a killer story. He's, he's helping me with website stuff. So he's a, he's a big help. He's in Italy. Um, kind of like Jacopo who wants to, you know, came to America. He wants to come to America and fish. So I'm, I'm kind of giving him, uh, you know, some projects to do and maybe, maybe help him out. But he wrote a really a killer story on deep cranking for this winter. You know, we got Drew Benton wrote a story on, uh, or uh, worked with one of my writers on, on Balsa. You know, we have Josh Bertrand, our cover angler, who, you know, just did, just won the open, uh, talking about cold water swim baits. You know, he's, he's just a great guy. We have, uh, fishing below the dam with Greg Hackney. And then I wrote a story on lithium batteries, um, that, you know, and, derived by a friend of mine and he goes well i got 100 amp lithium in my battery and it ran out i go oh really i go okay well let's let's look at that and i looked at, and looked at all the different things that he has running on his boat and i went okay well there's the there's the issue you're running over your reserve capacity you're running out of battery so i kind of I wrote the story as one lithium battery enough kind of and then covered uh some of the items that are on your boat and how many amps they draw it you know why would you need more than one a lot of great stories coming up too yeah i'm excited to check it out we we talked about some uh power with brad hallman actually uh in our last episode and then uh, of course had josh talking about his u.s open so i'll be super interested to see what he does in the cold water swim bait world of course u.s open a totally different uh technique we talked about here on bass edge um you know with his live scoping and drop shot in there um he's, right, he's obsessed right. with also another Berkeley bait, you know, the Max scent, right? He caught caught a lot of his fish. So, so uh, Berkeley's making some great products. Obviously, you're you're cracking them on the Fritz side, and and Josh is cracking them on the uh, Max scent. Mark, you know, all these articles you bring to the table with your magazine, similar to um, you know Aaron and I coming up with uh, interesting topics, how the sport evolves. You you know, it's going to be awesome to read that about your power situation and that 100 amp lithium battery and and what you've dove into there 
What do you foresee covering in 2023 as seasonal issues come together for spring and, and later on next year with Bass Angler Magazine? Because really, you know, just like our show here, Bass Angler Magazine putting out some content that hardcore anglers and weekend anglers need to be aware of. So where do you see things evolving from Bass Angler Magazine, maybe some, some insight to stories coming in, in the future? Oh, thanks. Thanks. You guys do a great job, man. I, I know it's a, sometimes a daunting task coming up with a bunch of new things, you yeah. know, to, to get, you know, get to these anglers. So, uh, you know, I did a media event with Coulter, Watson, Rabanis, and Murray, and we, uh, we came up with a host of topics for, you know, just for these, these guys, you know, some different ways, some top water ways to catch, you know, Murray on his finesse stuff, how to catch bigger fish using finesse. Right. Uh, how to catch quality fish during that season. Working with these guys, you know, Rabanis, you know, the ins and outs of frog fishing. I mean, even though, yeah, you know, frogs have been written about and written about and written about, you know, Freddie still does some different things that, you know, guys can learn from. You know, when does he throw it? Maybe he throws it in the wintertime, you know, when it's cold, when most guys wouldn't think about it. Right. You know, we have a, a bunch of stories about breaking down new bodies of water. So, you know, I find that one most intriguing, you know, so like you go to a, you go to a lake that you've either been to or, or haven't been to, or haven't been to in a while. How do you break it down? What's, you know, what are the, what are the starting points for breaking this down? And what if that's not working? What do you do from there? So we have a lot of stuff like that coming out. Um, you know, we'll probably uh, continue on with how I won the tournament. You know, we, we work with, uh, you know, like one angler, every issue and how they won that tournament, um, mm-hmm. you know, how that, That's how a great that worked piece. out. Yeah. You know, a lot of good stuff coming down the way. Well, you know, I mean, Mark, obviously it's so fun to our, our relationship down through the years, you not only as an angler, uh, cause quite honestly, you can, you can catch them. See me, not so much. I, I just like to talk about it. I'm just good at, at talking about it, but, uh, you, you can actually <laughs> you catch it. You can catch them. I see you. <laughs> but uh, certainly appreciate the insight as an angler, but also just with the information of, of kind of being that consummate uh, uh, source of knowledge on, on the print side. And it's just been an honor of being affiliated with you. Why don't you uh, kind of enlighten the listeners again on how to get in touch and stay in all things Bass Angler Magazine? Yeah, you know, we're in about 4,000 stores across the country. You know, Barnes & Noble, Bass Pro, Gander Mountain, Cabela's, some Piggly Wigglies. Walmart, you can find them there. Of course, Tackle Warehouse, just add it on to your next order. Um, if you want to sign up, subscribe, uh, go to BassMag.com, B-A-S-S-M-A-G.com. And actually, when you go to that website, there's like a 25% discount built in already. So that one goes right to the subscription page. Perfect. Well, it's always great to chat, Mark, and uh, congrats on the success out there at the Toyota Championship. I, I was uh, It's fun to hear the stories about the days of success and the days of struggle because we learn from both. So it's it's uh, great to hear about that. Right. And, and uh, man, best of luck. I know 2023 is going to be another big year for Bass Angler Mag and probably another big tournament year for you yourself. So best of luck out well, there on the on the West Coast. All right. Thanks. Pray for water in California. Absolutely. We'll definitely do that. (laughs) Guys, y'all stay tuned. Up next, this episode's featured angler spotlight right here on Bass Edge Radio. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Kyle Gillis. I'm pro angler Bill McDonald. This is MLF BPT Pro, Jacob Wheeler. 
This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Kyle Cordiano. I am Pro Angler Cole Floyd. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, it might be cold outside here the first part of December, but we probably have, at least I will consider, one of the hottest anglers in the country. Man, he won the MLF Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit title championship back in August. He finished second at the U.S. Open in October. I think it was his first trip out west. We're going to hear a little bit more about this, but man, I'm excited to have on the show 2023 MLF Bass Pro Tour angler Spencer Shuffield. Man, Spencer, thanks for being with us here on Bass Edge Radio. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. I love doing these things. Anytime I get the opportunity to talk fishing, I, I eat it up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, we are excited as well, Spencer. And, and like I said a little earlier off, off air, I owe you an apology. You're, you've got three years of catching up to do with us because for some reason uh, we have not had you on here. But but now you're going to bring the juice and you're going to help us take kind of Bass Edge Nation IQ with the fishing off the charts. And, you know, speaking of those three years, your success during that time, your return to the national tour scene, uh, what, what is been your biggest key to success in qualifying for the Bass Pro Tour and two top fives in the Tackle Warehouse Angler of the Year standing since your return? Man, you know, I had done it as a co-angler for five years, and it's it's just a lot of time on the water, but doing it as a co-angler for five years, and then I won the co-angler of the year that, that final year, and got and won a boat came with it. it was the first year they gave a boat away for calling the year at the time it wasn't worth anything and that last year i was a co-anger i seen they were going to give a boat away for calling of the year and i was like i've got to win that and i ended up winning it by one point ended up pushing out one of my best friends we still fish <laughs> all the time together he lives 30 minutes down the road road from me pushed him out edged him out that last tournament pick with the win angler year by one point got the boat was able to go pro there and i had a good i, I fished four years out of the front that first time and uh had a good four years i really did i mean i had some good tournaments and uh finished i remember at, almost won one at table rock yeah should have won it yeah that yeah was, but that was still when I was making a lot of mistakes that I hadn't learned how to fix yet. And uh, it just seemed like even around here locally, I was a lot of tournaments and, and, you know, I might never say anything, but I felt like I was that guy that you, you rolled in, you were finishing third or fourth and you were losing by a pound or two. And you're like, gosh, man, I had three on today that if I catch any of them, I would have won. And uh, I just felt like I was that guy every single tournament. And uh, when I went through the divorce, and uh, all of that back in 2015 i really got to stay home for four years and figure out how to fix them mistakes and that 
has been mainly the number one thing for me. It's not like I've all of a sudden became just a way better fisherman or anything like that. I feel like as a fisherman, I've grown a lot. I've gotten a lot better. Not necessarily that my mechanics have gotten any better because I've fished my entire life. I mean, you know, it's there's things I've learned and picked up on. And, yeah, I might be able to skip a jig a little better under docks now than I could back 10 years ago. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not, that's not something you really necessarily notice. Right, but right. it uh, it's the mistakes that I was making back then. I mean, whether it was the hooks or the line or the knots I was tying or just the way I approached the spot, depending on how the fish were set up. I've just spent so many more days on the water now and I was able to really just cure my mistakes. And um, I still make mistakes on the water all the time, but man, it's, it's not often now that I'm coming in and I'm like, gosh, I lost two five pounders a day or, you know what I mean? It's like it, like I felt like it was back then. It's right. I fish pretty clean now, and uh, that's what I tell a lot of the high school anglers around here that I talk to. You know, I tell them the same thing. I say, man, it doesn't matter who you are. If you if you are a decent fisherman, more than likely, every time you go in the water, you're going to have your opportunities to do very well. And the better you take advantage of them opportunities the the better you do that day as far as not losing them or or breaking them off if you take advantage of those those opportunities when you get them you'll see that instead of finishing the the bottom half of the group you'll always be in the top half and then you'll start you'll start winning more and as you start winning more you start getting better and growing more as an angler and you start winning even more often and that's just kind of, you know, how it just unfolds and, and to me. It's a lot of hard work and uh, being able to learn how to fix those mistakes because we sure. all make them out there on the water. Absolutely. You know? Spencer, you, you talk about time on the water and you talk about, you know, some experiences. Obviously, we're going to we're going to draw from some of those experiences. But so many times you are making reactions to conditions you're seeing on the water based on all that time that you've spent on the water. How difficult, I mean, obviously you can teach fundamentals of the game, you know, some of the things. How often are you seeing that the experiences that you have just pop up subconsciously, you're able to incorporate that in an immediate decision the day of your fishing, and that's really potentially what's taken you to this this level of consistency that's pretty daggum amazing. Well, it, it, a lot of it is instinctual, but like you said, it all comes from spending time on the water. You start doing things out of reaction and instinct, and you don't even realize you're doing it. Right, because right. Because the fish are showing you something or telling you something, and you just, out of instinct, know this is what you've got to do or what you don't need to do. So funny, because I've got a buddy I talk to who lives in Illinois, and, and we talk on a very weekly basis. I mean, we, it seems like we always talk for two hours, and uh, <laughs> we talk about this kind of stuff, and last night we were on the phone, and like that kind of got brought up, but I told him, I said, man, I know there's a formula to bass fishing. There, there, There is a formula to it somewhere, but I don't know how you can actually figure it out. I mean, there, there's guys out there, it seems like they've got it figured out better than others. But, I mean, I, I critique what I do a lot. I feel like I'm kind of stubborn a little bit. I roll up to a place, and the first thing I look for is where can I catch them on a spinning rod. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because that's how I enjoy to catch fish. I mean, I, 
I would rather, and I tell people this all the time, I'd rather really catch 30 pounds on a, on a spinning rod and six-pound line any day of the week versus a casting rod and 65-pound braid. I love catching them frogging, punching, and swim jigging and chatterbaiting with as much as anybody else in the country. Right. I love doing that. But my preference is to catch them on a spinning rod. It's just more of a challenge. It's just way more fun to me. So anytime I roll up to a place, that's what I'm looking for. Where can I catch them on a drop shot or a Ned rig or a little swim bait? And sometimes we roll up to a place and there's just no way you're going to be able to do that. There's like, you know, Okeechobee, for instance, you know, every now and then you might be able to catch them down there doing something like that. More likely it's going to be a shallow power fishing deal. So I feel like it's kind of a a fallback on my game sometimes that kind of hurts me. Uh, You know, I, I try to catch them doing whatever I, I feel like I need to do. I, I don't feel like there's really any weaknesses in my game because of the fact I fish 300 days a year. I go to Texas all the time because I'm only an hour and a half from the border. I mean, there's a lot of good lakes between me and Fort that I can be to in two hours. And they're full of grass, full of docks. I mean, I've got all that here in Arkansas, too. It's just Texas is a little better. And uh, so I, I do all that stuff all the time. But I've just got my preferences. You know, there's got to be a formula to it, man. And and the way I feel, what works for me is just roll up on a place, do what you're most comfortable with, figure out how to catch them doing what you know to do the best. I mean, I feel like that's what I do mostly is just I, I try and find the fish in the lake that will thought doing what I want to do. Because it, to me, man, every time you roll up to a place, it, it's like, everybody's got a chatterbait a frog and something to flip with or, or a swim bait you know and it's like the fish by the time the tournament starts they're so conditioned to it that it's a struggle to catch a lemon on a casting rod most right. of the time right. you know i mean not always but most of the time i mean it just seems like you've got to go around you know and, and plus finesse. finesse goes hand in hand with the scope mm-hmm. and and i am absolutely a Addicted to live scope. I mean, <laughs> I'm so addicted to scoping them. It's, awesome. it's just nothing like it. It's it's a topwater bite that lasts eight to ten seconds longer. It's just it's amazing, you know. So <laughs> I've never heard it described like that. That's that a is a genius, genius. Yes. That's, that's t-shirt material right there. <laughs> yeah. Let, okay. let me hit you with this real quick, Spencer. You know, we talked about, you know, these experiences, these quick on the water decisions. Of course, there's fundamentals in the game, you know, and you talk about the um, the analytics, more or less, of, of the formula that can be put together to be successful. Man, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, you know, obsessed with bass fishing as I am today. But that's when I really started. Right. And and we got to bring your dad, Ron, into this man. Hugely successful tour competitor when bass fishing participation was in a gigantic boom in the 80s, 90s and, and early 2000s. Right. What were some of the early childhood lessons um you know or as a young angler a young man that he was able to you know have some significant impacts on you as a tour angler you know maybe some of those lessons that maybe you look back and you're like i've heard that before dad mentioned that <laughs> yeah we had a lot of good times out there on the water me and, me and my dad right and uh, he, he was gone a lot but uh you know, growing up fishing with him, it was very simple. It was a jig or a spinnerbait or a rattle trap. I mean, the Bill Lewis rattle trap, that's all we threw. And uh, if they weren't biting one, they were biting the other. But 
it just seemed like fishing was a lot simpler back then too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there wasn't as much competition on the water as far as the anglers or or what it was. It, it was just a lot simpler. It seemed like I, I'm not taking any way anything away from them guys back yeah, then. Yeah, it's a different time. I sure. Just, I just feel like the fishermen nowadays are a hundred times better. We've got so much more knowledge now than they had i mean and technology even and and yeah i mean some guys would disagree and say that you know we've got the technology they didn't but i mean i grew up learning how to use a flasher and man when we found a good brush pile or found a good school of fish we we marked it with two landmarks i mean that's how we we've done it i still do that today make landmarks even though i've got gp gps coordinates i can make a waypoint I still make landmarks on a good school of fish or a certain rock because you never know when you're going to be out there fishing, your grass are going to go down or something like that. I've never had any issue like that before, but you just never know. You know what I mean? And uh, so I still always make a landmark on a spot that I, that I know is like the juice. So I, I know that if something happens, I can get back to it and I know the cast to make, you know, or whatnot. But learning stuff like that from him, you know, was, was what it was all about really i mean we spent so many nights on the water so many days on the water but uh come a long ways i mean i really have from what he taught me and and the fishing world as as a whole has come a long ways i can look back at things it just doesn't seem like it was 25 years ago but you know i, I remember my dad had me on the water when i was two three years old and i'm out there throwing a 10 inch worm on a pistol <laughs> grip with a zebco on it and I don't know how I ever caught one. I don't think he ever really expected me to catch one, honestly, because, I mean, you know, you're throwing a chance worm out there in 20 foot of water and they're down there, you know, in grass or brush and you're throwing a rod that's really too limbered even crappie fish with. I how about, like how about just by. like foresight from, you know, an industry perspective, not, not just not really getting into the business side, maybe not yeah. techniques, but just overall, like, Obviously, when you were co-angling in, in the FLW days and, and having crazy success, I, I got a question for you that here in, in a minute. But is there anything that just sticks with you that says, you know, I learned that when I was young because my dad was also in the industry? Well, there's nothing that just sticks out to me that my dad ever really – I mean, there is, but nothing related necessarily to the industry. I mean right. – by the time I got old enough to understand it, my dad was getting burnt out. Oh, so right, right. I got was, that too. It was a lot of uh, different things and emotions he was going through, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. He was making the switch from bass to FLW, but a lot of that was on my behalf because of the fact I started taking a lot of extra classes in high school so I could graduate early and start to tour. I mean, it was planned for me to fish since I was probably nine or ten. I mean, they, my mom and dad started planning stuff. Dad tells me all the time, I seen it in you when you were like three. He said, I mean, you were, you just could catch fish like you would never believe. I mean, and, and I knew that you were going to do this. And I was, I was obsessed with it. I remember my dad would walk through the doors. And if I wasn't able to go fishing with him that day or something, he'd walk through the doors. And the first thing I would do is smell his hands. Cause I knew how many fish he caught by how his hands smelled. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way I was. I mean, I was obsessed with it all the way around. But as far as the industry itself, none of that was really discussed a whole lot. I remember going to Bassmaster Classic every year as a kid. I mean, I've, all them the main tournaments if I went yeah. in school. I got to practice with him for the classic every year. I was always seeing the band down, 
all them, the Denny Briars, the Jay Yellises, all of those guys that you, you know, you've dreamed about seeing or whatever. I grew up seeing them guys all the time, playing with their kids. I mean, right, right. hanging out. I mean, we'd go out and eat together. It was just, it was nothing really different to me. So, it was just your life. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I well, mean, Spencer, let's let's run with that for a second and kind of shift to more or less angler personality. You know, going into your first season on the Bass Pro Tour, what are your thoughts from a competition, competitive standpoint, being, you know, that many of these competitors uh, come from the old bass angler pool, you know, that quite honestly, you haven't seen much in competition as you developed through the years. You know, you, you made two knockout rounds in your first, uh, I think, two BPT experiences during the 2021 season. And then I feel that format really, you know, suited some of your fishing strengths. What do you, from a new format of five biggest as your competition has been focused on, you know, more numbers rather than quality in the past couple of years? Well, I'm definitely more of a numbers guy. But, you know, I've only fished three tournaments under that format, the title championship at, at uh, Sturgeon, Sturgeon Bay. Sturgeon, yeah, yeah. Which I hands down would have won that tournament had the wind not blowed that last day. I mean, you know, it's what it is. But I was on the biggest school of smallmouth I've ever in my life and didn't even get to scrape the surface on them jokers. But both of them at Rayburn and Harris Chain was, was a blast. And neither one of them, Rayburn is kind of my numbers place, and I'm sure Harris can be too. But uh, I was catching tons and tons and tons of them at Rayburn, but just not two pounders. They were all 112 and 115s. And, and I enjoyed it. I mean, just seeing it like, man, this format is going to be the deal because there's going to be right. certain places we go that it's going to be lights out. I just know it. And uh, people that's fished with me, you know, they know how I like to fish and stuff. But all I've ever fished is five fish tournaments. That's it. You know, when it to me, it's the more I can catch, the better quality I'm going to catch. I mean, if a lot of guys go out there and they catch seven bites to get to 20. I've got to catch 50 to get to 20. But I'll throw back three or four limits that would have weighed 15. So that's what I was looking so forward to. And the fact that they went back to five fish, it's, yeah. you know, I've worked so hard to get to the Bass Pro Tour. I, I legitimately qualify for it for this year and they end up not giving out the spots that they said they would they gave out three less spots and i was the very first one out so i made sure that i was going to fish lights out this year as best i could so i could qualify for it because uh that's where i wanted to be because of the format and uh was able, you know managed to qualify for it this year and for next year and the fact that they went to a five fish it is like such a knife in the gut i mean <laughs> right. it's, you know it, it's not that i'm not still pumped to be fishing the bass pro tour i mean i don't think besides kissimmee which i love kissimmee i've been there three times and i've done wellers Angler, and and uh, should have done good there the first time i fished it as a pro but that was back when I was making a lot of mistakes, lost some really big fish. But it was one of them things that if I could have made the schedule this year, that's the exact schedule I would have made. Nice. Pretty much. I might have swapped one or two of them around. But it's uh, so I'm really looking forward to fishing out there this year. I mean, there's a lot of little things I like about it where you don't have to be back to check in at a certain time. I mean, you got a lines in, lines out type of deal. That's going to be a lot less stressful knowing that, hey, I can make a little bit longer of a run because I don't have to be back at a certain time. Right. So I like that about it. You know, we're just going to go with it. Like I said, all I've ever fished is five fish, but it's definitely a gut punch, them taking that away. And I know the team series and the cup events are still going to be all you can catch, but uh, it's definitely a bummer 
that uh, it's well, gone back to five fish, and that's what made them different. I just don't understand the change. I mean, but you know, it is what it is. Yep, yep. You kind of roll with the punches there. You're still wildly successful, obviously, in the five fish format. Looking at your pro bass, uh, pro circuit standings the, the last couple of years, so I, I think you're going to do just great. But I think you would have really rolled some heads real fast in the uh, all all you can catch in way format. Which, like you say, you'll still see that in this team tournament and the cup events. It'll be it'll be a good mix of both for you. So it'll be fun to watch, man. Quick throwback question. You mentioned it a little earlier. You're success there on the co-angler side it's been several years 12 years right so now you kind of full circle hindsight 2020 making that noise back in 2007 through 2011 not only did you just win that final year you fished as a co-angler you had i think you finished second twice had a couple i think another top 10 and never did poorly i mean it was consistent success hard to do as a co-angler, right? I mean, you're at the mercy of what's going, you know, the decisions of the person in the front of the boat, you're fishing what's in front of you. What was your secret to success in the back of the boat in that era? Also interested to understand what has translated from that success to now today's Spencer Shuffield success. Well, I got to fish with a lot of guys from out west when I was a co-angler. I got to fish with Gabe Boulevard, got to fish with Justin Kerr, Got to fish with uh, multiple guys from out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I already had a passion for fishing lot line and spinning rods, but I got to share that with them. Not necessarily verbally, but you could just share it. Because when I I fished with them, that's how they fished. It seemed like most of them, or they definitely were well-versed in it and ready to do that if they needed to. And, and some of them really took advantage of fishing white line and spinning rod. And I could just share that passion that those guys had too for it. And right. uh, I learned a lot from those guys as well. Uh, but I, I learned a lot just in general from how I grew up fishing with my dad versus how a lot of other people fished. I mean, sometimes you hear that you don't really know what's out there until you get out there. And and it was kind of that way with the fishermen. I mean, I, I guess I assume that everybody basically threw a spinnerbait and a jig and a rattle trap <laughs> right, until right. I started fishing with other people and realized, hey, man, there's a lot of other things to do out here to catch them. And not that I didn't already know that. It was just the fact that that's not what we did. So I didn't really truly learn how to start fishing as a whole. I mean, I, I felt like I was good at fishing when I was just a younger kid, 10, 12, 13 years old, but I'm talking right. about how to go out and, and catch them doing a lot of different things until I got probably 20 or so because I really started fishing with a lot of people that knew how to do a lot of different things. And um, there, I just saw a lot of stuff out there as a co-angler. You know, you fish with a guy that would pull up on the same kind of point you see my dad pull up on, but they would approach it totally different. And sure. catch fish doing it. And then there was a lot of times I'm like, man, if dad was here fishing this thing, we would absolutely be cracking them right now. <laughs> you know, or if I could fish it the way we fish it, we'd be killing them. And uh, so it was just seeing a lot of different things like that really helped me and seeing how other guys approach stuff differently. But at the end of the day, you know, when I, when I turned 17, I got my own little boat. I had a, I bought a Sprint with a, a 150 XR6 on the back of it. And I just started fishing a lot all by myself. I mean, I fished every dang day. That's where I, I really started learning things because I would go out on tour. I would 
see a guy, I would draw a guy that was throwing. Uh, they they weren't even, you know, around back then. I don't mm-hmm. guess maybe they were, but I'm just going to use this for an example: glide bait. Draw a guy throwing a glide bait, and I'm like, what the heck is this thing? You know, and see how he's fishing it. Well, I'd go back home and I'd get on tackle warehouse or wherever, and I'd order me one. And I would take his our lakes and I'd learn how to fish it. Yeah, and so yeah. every time I'd go to this one tournament and fish with a guy, I would always pick up something. I would always learn a little something. And I would come back and I would learn exactly how to do it myself and how it worked for me. And I, I would just refine that. And, uh, man, that's, that's really what's helped me going forward, you know, was just getting all of that, that knowledge that I've yeah. gathered up. And it was like a sponge, man, just sucked it and soaked it all in. Well, not only that, then you put it to use, right? I mean, you, you get a lot of those, you know, you get a lot of anglers that, that see some of these things, but but they're not tackling it back home or back on the water the way that, that you did, obviously. And and that's what kind of has put you in, in the position I feel like you are today, which is uh, – Well, and that goes back to the four years that I – in between my tour times. Right, like right. It's the first four years as a pro, and now, now it was learning – how to do something on a body of water you knew everything about because it's one thing when you go to a body of water you know nothing about and you're trying a new technique you're like why might i even be around fish yeah but i can take techniques that i know nothing about and go out here on lake hampton because i know every rock in this place and i'm pretty <laughs> right. sure i've caught a bass in its spot <laughs> so i know where they live and at all the you know all times and so if i go out there and i'm not catching them with it then i know i'm not doing it right oh, or yeah. something and I learned how it's got to be fish to catch them. It's kind of like having a swimming pool full of bass in it. Yep. I mean, it's the way I look at it. You know, you it's great to take it to the swimming pool and see what the action's like, but how do they want it? Yeah, how, it. What what makes them react to it the best? And so knowing a body of water, learning how to do stuff on a body of water you know everything about, really is what helps. And uh, th- I mean that that's helped me a ton. That's a crazy cool fishery, by the way. I fished the. Uh, cup there i think it was in 19 and uh man it's a it's a very diverse place so super cool. yeah hey we got to cut to a quick break man we're looking at the blueprints to success with mlf bass pro tour angler spencer shuffield we're gonna power pole down for a quick pause we'll be right back after these messages stay tuned Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with MLF Bass Pro Tour angler Spencer Shuffield in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Spencer, I didn't know you, uh, you know, st- still getting to know you, but but I remember a, uh, I think it was FLW Tour, can't remember, we were at Lake Martin in 2020 and uh, i'm running around the back of pockets i like to sight fish there's fish on bed back there i'm doing my thing i see you out on some of these secondary points staring at your graph you know this was the first year that really live scope you know live live sonar was really starting to take hold from a national tournament perspective some guys like yourself 
were learning this technique and this this uh, transition prior to that and really had it somewhat dialed in at that point before most anglers did. So I want to talk a little bit about this. It comes up in almost every podcast now because it's such a dominant way to fish. Obviously, you love to use it, but live sonar. When you see anglers trying to use live sonar, can you help them understand a couple of fundamentals that you see most people doing wrong that they should alter to become better at utilizing that technology? Just a couple, you know, two or three tips that you see anglers, you know, not doing that you know they need to get on a little bit better to be successful using live sonar. Well, I get asked the question all the time about settings, and, and I think a lot of guys, because I haven't been with many people that, that use it, mm-hmm. I, I, just me, myself, um, and, and I don't ever really watch other guys using it to see what they might or might not be doing right, But and, and heck, I ain't got it all figured out, that's for sure, but I think a lot of guys are overthinking it. They think, oh, because I get the message all the time on Instagram or Facebook. Hey, what's your settings on live scope? And um, I tell them it's not a particular setting. I mean, you've got to, it goes back to time on the water again. I mean, uh, my settings are changing constantly. I mean, I'll tell everybody on here. I mean, my settings as far as gain is always somewhere between 65 and 75. It's never higher than 75, and it's never lower than 65. But that's on the new 34-plus transducer. On the 32, it was always between 58 and 65 uh, because it it picks up a lot more clutter in the water, that that older transducer. So you had to run your gain a lot lower. But that new transducer, it's clear. uh, Everything's more detailed, and you can run your gain a little higher. I keep my TVG and my noise rejection on low. And that's what I tell everybody. I mean, I'll keep it on low. I never change that. The only thing I'm ever changing is the gain and depth range and forward range, depending on what the fish are doing, how I'm catching them. My forward range in one pocket might be on 120 feet. In the next pocket I go in, it's on 80. Uh, My depth range might be set as as deep as 60, 70 foot. I was up to Rock. This past weekend, just wrecked them on a drop shot. I, I ran my depth setting as deep as I've ever ran it in my life. I had it set on 80 and catching fish. I've never, never ran it that deep before, never had to. Uh, but most of the time, I mean, I'm going to have it set 10 foot deeper than, than the bottom. And uh, a lot of times I'm catching them, scoping them up there in four to eight foot of water. So I keep my depth on 15. And you also have to zoom in a little bit when you're that shallow because it, otherwise you get a lot of distortion, a lot of interference. Uh, it's just learning stuff like that that helps you catch an extra fish or two here and there. So I, I think a lot of guys are, are looking into it a little too much. They're overthinking it. it. It's it's pretty simple. The most important thing is just to learn what you're throwing at. And, right. you know, after throwing at millions and millions and millions and millions of fish, I've learned pretty much what I'm throwing at is a bass or not versus a drum or a carp. Now, I can't always sit there and tell you immediately – that's a drum or that's a carp or that's a four pound largemouth. But most of the time I can't. Sometimes they're set up the same. I mean, a lot of times up north I'm catching four pound smallmouth that's mixed in with three or four big drum. Right. Or sometimes it's three or four big smallmouth that look like drum because they're so big. It's just the <laughs> yeah. way they're turned compared to the transducer. I mean, I threw it multiple smallmouth this year up at Champlain. In St. Lawrence, Lake Ontario, that I thought that's a big drum that I throw out there, but I could just tell 
that the fish was kind of set up like a bass, even though it looked like a drum, it was kind of set up like a bass, and I'd throw out there, and the sucker would just shark right over to my stuff and eat it, and it'd be a six-pound brownie. You know, I mean, it's just, but knowing how that fish was set up, seeing it so many times, saying, man, it, that looks like a drum, but it's set up like a bass. So I tell people, go to your lake. I don't know. I mean, it's got to be conductive to scoping, though. I mean, you can't just take it to, like, the Arkansas River where there's tons of current and the water's muddy. And that, that's not a place where you learn how to use live scope. Go somewhere where it's clear, the fish get offshore, you can catch them drop shotting or spooning or cranking or something swim bait a rig whatever and just throw it every single fish you see on your screen that that's what i tell you just throw it everything you see just throw at it and see yeah, what yeah. happens and you'll start to learn that oh there there one comes that fish is coming at it you'll start to see uh this is what the predator fish looks like this is what the non-predator fish look like and then once you learn what the predator fish look like, you'll start learning what the actual bass. You'll start being able to pick the bass out of the predator fish. Like, okay, this is white bass. This here's a pike, or there, there's a striper, or you know, and and there's bass. That's bass right there's bass. You know what right. I mean? I feel like the one thing that I struggle with personally the most, and and maybe some of our listeners have have the same same deal, is constantly fanning. You know side to side, you know, looking through the water column with the live sonar, right? I mean, and, and then speed. Speed is just as important. You've got to be able to cover water when you're fanning, looking side to side and looking for those fish on on the live sonar. What what are some tips that you could, you know, shoot out? Is it you just got to keep moving that transducer? You've got to stay on six, seven, eight, you know, on, on your speed setting of your trolling motor. What, what is it yeah. that you feel like from that aspect you could maybe help some anglers use it more effectively? Well, when I'm fanning back, I mean, I'm always fanning back left and right. It, it just depends on the fish suspended or they holding on cover. If they're down tight to the bottom holding on rocks or they're holding on brush, it's a slower process because you can very easily miss them. And, uh, you know, if it's spotted bass or smallmouth, they're usually up off the bottom a little bit. So they stick out like a sore thumb. Largemouth, it seems like they tend to always be right down on the bottom most of the time. So it's, it's one of them deals like when I'm scanning left and right and I've got the speed, I've already got it dialed in usually, or I'm really searching. I mean, I roll up to a body of water. I'll tell people, like this time of year, they're always going to be out on a point with deep water on it, which is typically any time of the year. It seems like they're always on points that's got deep water close, you know, or they're going to be in the middle of these cuts. Anything's got like a live ditch running into it. They're going to be out in the middles of that stuff. And it's just getting out there and finding out where they're at. I mean, you're going to see them because they're usually schooled up, but I mean, I'm constantly looking for that flash real quick up on the screen. When I'm scanning left and right, I mean, your eyes just become accustomed to knowing what to when it, when it sees something. It, I guess, transfers a signal to your brain. Hey, you know, and, and, and I know instantly there's one. And I'll slowly scan back to where I saw that spot and find some what it was. I mean, a lot of times it's it's not a fish. It's, it's trash out there in water maybe or or when you're scanning out in deep trees, a lot of times it'll be a jelly ball that's in them trees, you know, that parasite thing yep, that's yep. in that stuff that looks like fish, or just the end of a stick is a little thicker than the rest of it coming off the tree, so it looks like a fish. I mean, I can tell you what to look for, you know, on that kind of stuff, but it's so hard to actually tell you what to look yeah, for. It's more yeah, it's more, it's more of an experience. It's, it, it's it like is. saying, okay, I'm catching them and it's sunny. Oh, you know, it turned cloudy. 
oh, maybe I need this is an adjustment I need to try to make. And it's the same thing with scoping, right? I mean, you get out there, you start looking, you have these hundreds, thousands of experiences, and uh, you just have to utilize those experiences to to make yourself a better user yeah, of the, and, of and the technology. They're not always they're not always visible, you know. I mean, there's so many times like Table Rocket for Saturday. I was up there. I got out there and by from daylight to noon. I mean, just seeing them everywhere, catching them everywhere, just one after another. And <laughs> right. then at like twelve, twelve thirty, gone. There's no more bass. I mean, you're not seeing them anywhere. I went shallow, went deeper. They're gone. And come to find out, they'd all just sucked right down to the bottom. Because mm. you would finally, you kind of barely see the top ones bite. She bite, you pull her up, and there'd be twenty five more rise up off the bottom with it. So wow. they're not always visible where you can see them, you know. Yeah. Uh, there, there's just a lot of lot of little ins and outs about it. I mean, I'm learning with it every time I'm on the water. I'm learning with with the scope and uh, something about fish behavior and and things of that nature. So it, it's just a really cool thing. I, I I don't know when we'll ever actually have it all figured out with it, but yeah. I feel like I've got it, I've gotten it dialed in, no doubt. But I'm still learning a lot of stuff with it. It's kind of uh, like, do we ever do we ever really get there, Spencer? You know, with the development, yeah. and you know, and and I'd kind of like for you to to touch a little bit on that before we head into the listener question segment here. As far as just what advice that you can provide anglers looking to kind of you know make that next step in their process of becoming a better angler, you know, where specifically do you see kind of common deficiencies, or you know, from the more intermediate anglers? Uh, that would help you know us possibly become more successful at catching bass outside outside of live scope (laughs) yeah i I watch youtube a lot but my deal is i keep up with everything on over in japan but that's because i like to finesse fish but they also do a lot of power fishing over there too but i watch a lot of youtube i am subscribed i can't tell you how many of these japanese fishing youtubers over there because it will blow your mind at what they will show you that we won't find out about for another four or five six years so i just like watching them guys fish i mean most of the time they're fishing from the dang bank they don't even have boats um it's just unbelievable to see these guys they they really are that that good i mean i wish i could i could make a book or a movie on live scope or what makes a guy a better angler just on the water in general because i mean in the moment when you're actually out there you could say hey this here is what really helps that there's what really helps this is what's helped me what just happened right there was something big going forward that will help you in the years coming but without being out there it's so hard and, and that's why it just always goes back to time on the water i mean if you're a guy that's only getting to fish one to two days a month, I just don't think you're ever going to get there. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and and I hate to say that or bust anybody's bubble, but it's <laughs> right, just right. the truth. I mean, it's just the truth. I mean, no sense in giving somebody a false sense of hope. I mean, if you can't fish more than twice a month, there's too many guys out there that are fishing 15 to 20 days a month. I mean, I know guys that they're only at the Toyota Series level, man, they're on the water four or five days a week. I mean, that's just they're out there all the time. They've got a job that allows them to do that, or they're just financially able to do it, whether they inherited money or whatever. It's just a very competitive game. Fishing is such a competitive game. But if you're a guy that can only fish a couple days a month, just take advantage of the technology as far as what gets put out on live during tournaments. Uh, like the Bass Pro Tour, watch that stuff when you have free time. Read the magazines. I mean, all the articles are dead on. I mean, 
everything that it's saying is happening, these podcasts, everything that these guys are saying is actual real stuff. I mean, it's legit experiences that you can use to, to really help you out on the water. But all in all, I mean, it's time on the water. I mean, I can tell you right now, hey, take a six-inch swim bait, put it on a half-ounce lead head, throw it on main lake points, and you can catch 100 a day, no problem. But if you haven't seen it done, you're going to fish one point without a bite, and you're going to think, this ain't working. I don't right. know how to do this. When it's, it is working big time, you know what I mean? And, and it's just one of them deals, the experience of actually seeing it happen with your own eyes, it's, it's hard. If you're not out there actually seeing it happen, it's hard to make it happen. I mean, you got to spend time on the water. I mean, that's the number one ingredient every time. I mean, it's just that's the only thing I can really truly say about it great feedback great feedback we got an interesting question for our midway usa gift card giveaway um in this segment brought to us by nitro performance bass boat uh spencer this question came through our instagram account from shane bracca uh, looks like he's out of new hampshire he wants to know what is the best way to not get fished out I, I think he's talking about being burnt out here right he says mm-hmm. um i hear stay motivated and keep your head in it and and i gotta be honest spencer you hear a lot in friend circles right about burnout tough fishing maybe poor tournament performance um just not getting what you're expecting out of the sport in general how do you keep from getting burnt out or you know fished out or in and not you know, staying motivated to keep your head in it? Well, for me, it's fishing different bodies of water regularly. I have gotten burnt out here around my home lakes. I literally can't stand to put a boat in Lake Hamilton or Lake Washtenaw or DeGray anymore. Uh, it's, I, I've grown up fishing my entire life. It's always the same thing, same places, same baits, and I've gotten really burnt out on fishing these lakes around here because they're not very good in general. Uh, other than the winter months. So I go to a lot of different places. Uh, I go to, like I said earlier on the show, I go to Texas some. It's only about two hours away. But it's really gotten bad for me in about the last year here around home when when I am home, which isn't a lot. But when I do get two or three weeks, I've gotten to where I'd rather just sit here at the house, watch a little TV than to go fishing. And it's not because I'm burnt out on fishing. It's I just don't want to fish around here. So what I've started doing is I've started taking stuff like a glide bait, for instance, or baits that you see these guys throwing out in California, really big swim baits and things that I just don't do. I never do on tour, but I've always thought about them. Like, man, I bet you I could pick one of them up and maybe throw it the rest of, you know, sometimes you get a 16, 18 pound limit pretty quick and you just want to go hunt for a big one, but you never do really. And I've started going to these lakes and getting bots doing that and catching some big ones. And it's really kind of put a fire back in me to start fishing my home lakes again, because it's a totally different way of fishing. So to me, it's, it's, you know, staying motivated is, is can be hard to do, especially if you're having to fish the same place all the time. So maybe just learn how to fish it a different way, try different things, and it almost make it like a new body of water again. I mean, it, it kind of has for me. That's that's what I've started doing because I've just got tired of going around here, and every time I go out here, I'm throwing a drop shot or a jig or, or a crankbait or something. I mean, I, I enjoy doing that when I go to other places, but it's new scenery. It's new bodies of water, new experiences. I don't you know, know it very well, so I'm constantly on the hunt looking for the next group of fish or the next great spot, and you never know where you're going to find it, so it's it's an adventure. 
around yeah. here I already know where all the fish are. <laughs> That's I mean, awesome. There, there's no adventure. I mean, it's yeah. I'm going to this spot, that spot, that spot, and that spot. I know what I'm going to catch, you know, most of the time. And, and so I've kind of got burned out on it. And I think, like I said, I think that's kind of the way it was what happened with my dad. He got tired of the traveling. He got tired of going to the same places all the time. He had been there, you know, hundreds of times. And, and it was just one of them deals. He just kind of got burned out on I've asked him a lot of times, like, do you not miss tournament bass fishing? I mean, <laughs> do you not want to get back out there? And he's like, I miss the competition, but I don't miss the traveling. He said, the only thing I really truly miss about is competing. And I miss going and catching smallmouth up north, like the St. Clair, and, and those Champlain, that's what he truly misses is going to them places. It's not the Gunnerville and Okeechobee. He he don't miss going to places like that. It's going up north or and catching them big yeah. smallmouth and stuff like that. So very cool. It's, uh, very yeah, cool. you know. Yeah, well, I, you know, a great answer, Spencer. And I mean, you know, that's that's going to be the challenges for certainly you guys at the top level, but also, you know, people that's been at it a long time of constantly pushing the envelope to get out there, try something new. Great advice by picking up a rod that you don't normally throw. Make that the only thing on the front deck of your boat, right? That's how you can exactly. you, you can yeah. uh, get out and not only learn something new, but uh, keep it interesting. That is one more thing, though. There is one more thing I should say that we need from Shane, and that is to simply log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, let us know that you heard Spencer answer your question right here on episode 389, and we will get the Midway USA gift card for all things fishing and all things outdoors sent directly to your doorstep. And as always, a reminder, Bass Edge listeners, keep firing those questions to our Instagram, Facebook, or through our website at BassEdge.com. Simply click the Ask the Pros tab, and you could be the winner of the next Midway USA gift certificate from here at Bass Edge Radio. Spencer, really enjoyed the interview. Your passion, you know, for the sport and excitement are contagious. I feel like, you know, you just took us on the master's class. Any closing thoughts for the listeners as we close the interview down? Yeah, man, I, I love meeting people and getting to spend time on the water with guys that share a passion that I do, too. And and it's, uh, it, it is one, it's one of them things where I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. I absolutely wish I lived on the road doing this 24-7. I, I tell my wife all the time, I mean, I want to take you all with me, but I really wish every week we were somewhere else fishing a tournament. It's just I enjoy it so much. And, uh, it's you know, it's the only thing that I know how to do you know very well that i feel like i can really compete with you know other people that share my interest is bass fishing you know and so i just love going around and fishing against a bunch of different competition and you know this year i got to go out west and fish against that group of guys and that was just an absolute amazing experience totally different type of fishermen out there those guys were so welcoming and and just had so many good conversations out there and and just what amazing fisheries uh, Lake Mojave is. I mean, it's by far got to be top three, my favorite places I've ever been. And uh, can't awesome. wait to get back out there next year in October. <laughs> Gosh, I, I cannot wait to get back out there. But yeah, man, I, I, anybody, you know, you can you can give me a shout out on Instagram, Sheffield Fishing, my fishing page on Instagram and, and Facebook at Spencer Sheffield Fishing. Shoot me a message if you got any questions. You know, I might go in a little bit more detail with you on a live scope deal or whatnot if uh, I know the exact question you need answered. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I look forward to next time we do it. 
Absolutely, Spencer, man. Have a great holiday season, man. We obviously look forward to continue following your continued success in MLF. Bass Edge Nation, hold tight as Aaron and I will be back right after this last message in the break. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Well, Kurt, you said marathon episode, and uh, that by chance might be the longest episode that we've ever done, but it also included a tremendous, a tremendous amount of information. You know, just a couple yeah. things, a couple highlights from, from Spencer. Uh, one that really, really stood out was his subscription to multiple Japanese YouTube channels. Yeah, man, that was, that was great to hear. That's how you get ahead. You think out of the box, right? I mean, that, that's how you get ahead in the sport. Think out of the box, learning some techniques that you can put in place that the fish aren't seeing on a daily basis. So, so uh, it's it's obviously really cool that Spencer shared that with us, and so many other great little nuggets of tidbit information. Go back, re-listen to this entire episode with Mark Lassane. Give us some great tidbits on fall fishing in the segment B. Spencer, I mean, how many? I mean, just nugget after nugget through that through that awesome interview and. Um, Aaron, it's getting time for Christmas. Got to start thinking about Christmas on this, you know, first half of December episode. I got to toss a stocking stuffer. Mark told you how to get it. Bass Angler Magazine, a great option. Go to BassEdge.com. We got some great hats and apparel. So uh, that, that, that'd be a great stocking stuffer. But as always, MegaWare has so many awesome boat accessory products. Also, great Christmas gifts. So, Aaron, I got to go shopping, dude. I got to get some things done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And with that, we are going to let everybody have their day back and certainly appreciate all Bass Ed's listeners tuning us in each and every episode. Please join us again for December 15th, episode 390, the last episode of 2022 as we move on to bigger and hopefully better things for 2023. For Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. is presented by Mega
Ware Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.